Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am your host, Ian Rice. And with me, as always, Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? Great, Ian. It's been a minute. It has, but we're getting back into the swing of things here. A few things have happened since we've been away. But before we jump over to that and before we jump over to today's main topic, I'd like to introduce our special guest that's with us today, Mr. Stephen Tomer. Stephen, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Very well. Pleasure to have you on today. Thank you. It's it's an honor. It really is. Stephen is one of our uh, patrons, and he's a uh, longtime listener of Digital Killed the Radio Star, so I appreciate that. And uh, he joined Patreon recently, and uh, I thought it'd be fun. We'll, we're going to pull people out of that group every now and then and have on here. So thanks for coming on, especially this early in the morning. Oh, no problem. Glad to be here. Yeah, so you've always been such a big supporter. I did not know until recently that you uh, had also followed Digital Killed the Radio Star. You're a kind yeah. man. Yeah, I actually, I, I came across that on, it was a fluke, and yeah, became a an instant fan. He's a big My Morning Jacket guy, so he's a good guy, Ian. I am. I know. Well, he's also a fan of you, David, apparently, so like, how could you be? Not well, I don't know that, you, know you just you killed it, you just killed his credibility. No, you, <laughs> you flew out and saw them at Red Rocks last year, didn't you? I did, I did, it was in, in 19. Well, I mean, that Red Rocks, speaking of Red Rocks, that's to me seems like a beautiful venue. It's one of those kind of bucket list venues for me. I've not been there, but uh, it seems like a lot of really cool stuff happens there. It is a beautiful venue. I've been fortunate enough. I don't get to go to concerts often, but when I do, I've been lucky enough to hit a lot of really cool venues. And I'm located right between Chicago, St. Louis and Indianapolis. Okay. But St. Louis is kind of our, our go-to and there's the pageant in St. Louis. If you ever get a chance to visit it, it's a small club and absolutely beautiful, perfect place to see a show. Saw the black crows there in 13. Yeah. It's always on those lists of best rock clubs along with like uh, the 40 watt in Athens, nine thirty club in DC, you know, stone pony and, and stuff like that. So yeah, that's cool that you get to go to those shows. I went to, I've been to a show. I went to a, like a hardcore punk show in New Orleans, I mean, in St. Louis one time. And, uh, it was, uh, it was like everything, it was everything that you would stereotype a punk rock bar to be. Yeah. <laughs> like we got there, they had one toilet and it already overflowed, you know, <laughs> but oh. it, was, it was, it was Michael Graves of the misfits. And, okay. um, uh, Chris, it does digital kill the radio star with me. That's one of his favorite people. So we got to do a 90 minute interview with him, but, uh, yeah, walked in and the toilet's overflowing. Listen, it's about all about the entire experience, David. Okay. You gotta be immersed. That. I get that. <laughs> but so uh, big happenings this uh, past week was the 30th anniversary of almost seems universally everybody's favorite Black Crows record, the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. I know that's your personal favorite, David. I don't know about you, Stephen. Where's that fall for you? Personal favorite as well. It's definitely a top 10 of all time album for me. It's a little, you know, raises a few eyebrows as to why they didn't make more of a big deal about it. Cause it obviously shake your money maker was their most commercially successful record, but Southern harmony did quite well commercially as well. Um, I'm surprised debuted, it debuted at number one. Yeah. I mean, it didn't sell as many copies, but still it, it, it had a lot of momentum and it's often regarded as their, their masterwork. So I'm surprised they didn't get behind it a little more for such a milestone anniversary. I've got my fingers crossed after this tour this summer. It's something that they concentrate on. It should be, needs to be. Absolutely. Um, I do want to point out that our, uh, our good uh, buddy, Joe Boylan wrote an excellent article uh, for his music blog about Southern harmony. And I posted it on Twitter and Instagram and Ian, you posted it on Facebook. So if you can go back and find that, and it was an excellent breakdown on the album and all about kind of the legacy and where the band was at the moment. Yeah. Joe Boylan was a very early guest of the podcast. Always been a friend of the show. It was an excellently done article. Definitely should check it out. And also our friends in the remedy tribute band, David, you did a little something with them to mark the anniversary as well. Yes. Yeah, so they played Southern harmony in its entirety 
I was honored. They asked me to come on and do a Q and a with them beforehand. So uh, I believe the Twitter is at remedy tribute, but more importantly, go to their YouTube page and you can subscribe and watch it on there. They, uh, they did a really, really good job with it. And those are uh, Nick and, and, and Richard had been on before and uh, they are just super, super nice guys. And uh, let's see, I'm going to give you the, uh, the info on that remedy tribute band black crows tribute is the youtube page and so yeah super cool we're gonna have those guys on again they're they're great guys i think that's all for the for the our our friends we need to uh plug yeah i mean i on the anniversary of southern harmony i listened to the album a bunch of times and then i was trolling around for you know any kind of podcast or anything that touched on it other than our own and I touched on, I had forgotten you entirely, you had done this, David, but you did something with the R4 podcast on the Southern Harmony. So I started playing that episode and then there's my friend. So I got to enjoy yeah. that as well. And uh, speaking of that podcast episode, the professor, Ray Permi, was on there with me and he is one of our latest patrons along with our, our good buddy, Jason Rudine out of Philadelphia. Uh, we hope to have him on here for something really cool someday. Uh, and, uh, Seth Weinstein, uh, those are our newest, uh, patrons and, uh, Steven, you're one of our more recent people on there too. Are you enjoying it? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're about to crank up the giveaway season again. Uh, we had to restock the bank account and, yeah. uh, we have some cool stuff. And speaking of which we're going to give away some copies of 1972 on vinyl and CD. So for non-patron people as well. So, uh, probably going to do a Twitter contest for the vinyl for non-Patreon people. And Ian's got the CDs. I'll let him figure out how he wants to dole those out. Yeah. We made sure to pre-order several copies in advance to uh, share with some of you fine folks out there. So we'll be announcing that in the very near future. So David, on the last couple of shows on the mostly shake your moneymaker based tour, the black crows had to substitute uh, lead guitar players and our friend, Charlie star, more commonly known, as the front man for the Blackberry Smoke Band, was filling in on lead guitar and did quite a hell of a job, wouldn't you say? You think? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it was really cool because Rex Cunningham figured out, hey, they're playing Jazz Fest. Isaiah's going to be in Europe. This was like months ago that Rex put that together. And then they had this stagecoach thing going. And I remember the day of in our little Facebook group, people were like, who's going to play? And I think it's even Brian Jones said, I bet it's going to be Charlie Starr. And I'm like, no, that makes way too much sense. It's not going to happen. And then, you know, everybody stayed up, watched the live stream. And what I'll say about Charlie is it's clear they're one of his favorite bands. He had the tone and the vibe and he filled in so well. And if you watch, he's smiling on like every clip and he makes it look so freaking easy. Like that sting me solo is just kind of like, Hey, I, I can play this. If you notice, like, I don't think, I don't think I saw like rich giving him cues or anything like that. He just plugged in like he'd been with them since 1990. And you know, that had to have been a bucket list pinch me moment for him. I, I mean, I would agree. It seemed like he was really into, into the proceedings and yeah, it seemed like it, he played the material faithfully and with a lot of reverence, but it wasn't just like somebody plugging in and, and copying what he had heard. You know, it was obviously, a lot of emotion into the performance for him. It definitely was a big moment. And I, I, I hate to say this because it's, it's no insult to Isaiah Mitchell, but I, I really would like to see Charlie continue with them, at least at least for a tour, you know. Stephen, what do you think? I, I agree with Ian. It would be amazing to see him continue on. It, the only drawback that I see was would be if it cut back on Blackberry Smoke output. Barring that, oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to see him continue. That's exactly what I said. Uh, about the blackberry smoke thing is like that would be the shame of it like i selfishly i would like him to be in the band but that would mean a reduced output for blackberry smoke and i wouldn't want them to be hurt either because they're such a great band and have such a a loyal following you know i also watched some of those uh earthless clips that were going on at the same time in europe and isaiah absolutely puts on a shred fest one of the things i think is interesting about earthless he essentially is playing lead guitar for the entire song and some of their songs are like 20, wow. 25 minutes. And he just does not, I don't know how he doesn't wear himself out, but he absolutely kills it on that earthless stuff. I'm not quite as familiar with the earthless. I, I purchased their albums, but I haven't dug too deep into them, but what I've heard, I really, I really thought was great. Yeah, it's got- I, I'm in the same boat. I haven't 
really delved in as deep as I'd like to. I, I've had some superficial listening and enjoyed what I heard, but I haven't, you know, done the deep dive yet. And they got to they got to play um, on Jimmy Kimmel, and they did the 1972 performance from the Whiskey, and and they played some songs, and then uh, Rich got handed the wrong uh, a guitar in the wrong tuning. Have y'all seen that? No. So nah. they went to play Thorn, and he probably played about 20 or 30 seconds in it, and realized like it was in the wrong tuning. So like the guitar tech had to retune the guitar, and so they had about three minutes there of just like Chris and Rich ad libbing and. Uh, I think Rich is something like, "Hey Charlie, why don't you uh, won't you play us something or something like that?" And it was <laughs> it was pretty funny. Like you know, Chris is Rich. I think is actually really funny off the cuff with stuff like that. And then Chris like calls out the name of Rich's guitar tech, you know. And Chris is like, "He's going to kill me after this." But yeah, uh, you know, it's only could rock you, and roll. Could you imagine the sheer panic that you would feel as the guitar tech, knowing that you handed Rich Robinson the wrong guitar? <laughs> I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often with, I mean, he uses pretty much a different one every song. Yeah. You know, I, you, yeah. you would think almost like the guitar tech, be like, Hey, if we're going to do that, uh, open G let's, let's do, let's run three or four in a row, <laughs> you know? And I'm sure Chris picks the set list and he doesn't really care about which tuning it's in, yeah. but yeah, it was the, the whiskey show was really good. They played uh ballad. Uh, which is one we haven't heard the new incarnation really play. Yeah, not only ballad, but ballad wiser, which you know is always the perfect pairing. I, you know, on occasion you do get them separately, and I always it's always a letdown when you hear ballad and wiser isn't right after it. You know, they did a did a great job on that. But man, Charlie just I was so happy for him. You could just tell. I bet he would have done it for free. Probably. It, it just he just he he had the spirit and the vibe, and it was absolutely great. And it was a great kind of surprise for everybody it seemed to really kind of re-energize the fan base yeah and you know all those performances like the 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 stream and, and all that were to promote the release of the 1972 ep which is what we're here to talk about today we're kind of going to do an, an under review we've never done an ep before have we david no we haven't so i guess this is ep under review not album under review ian that's true but uh we'll make it work because uh I think it's important, you know, we we touched on this. We left a little time for for people to kind of digest it a little bit. That's why it wasn't right when it was released. But, you know, I think everybody's had a little time to sit with it. It looks like most people have either been streaming it. Some I know a lot of people's vinyl has been arriving because there was a little bit of a delay on the vinyl. But I will uh, say this, when I comment on this album, I'm commenting on the vinyl and not the Amazon Music streaming. I don't know what's wrong with it, but it does not sound good on Amazon Music. It sounds a whole lot better on vinyl. I will even say that it sounds a whole lot better on CD because I had the same experience you did because I popped the CD in the car, you know, and it, it's leagues ahead of the Amazon music stream. I don't know if Amazon music is maybe, you know, limited bandwidth or they don't use a high bit rate of MP3 or something, but yeah, it's it, the physical media. Definitely sound quality surpasses that of the stream. I, I haven't been able to listen to a physical version yet. It's been streaming only. I do have the CD and I'm still waiting on the vinyl patiently. Oh man. I, you're still one of the, one of the waiters. Huh? I, I'm yes. sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got, I got two copies in, I think Sunday, five days ago. And uh, I didn't get a chance to listen to it until I think Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday. And because uh, I, I was not impressed with the, the sound quality on Amazon. I don't use Amazon music. I use Spotify and I just was not satisfied with it all. And which kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. And then I put the vinyl in. I was like, Oh, well, here we go. I always feel like when an artist, and I understand there's reasons for doing it. And I'm profess to know all the ins and outs of the music business, but I always feel like when an artist released something to an exclusive outlet, whether it be Amazon music, or actually a lot of bands have done this, including the black crows, you know, release something exclusively through Walmart or they put something in a, in a, in a target that has extra tracks on it. I feel like you're excluding a lot of people and ultimately hurting your sales in a way. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure there was financial incentive, but at the same time, like that's why I didn't really make a judgment on it because we know that Chris cares about how things sound on vinyl. I mean, he puts a lot of time and effort into that. And I just didn't think he was going to let a subpar sounding product come out from a quality standpoint. No, definitely not. Definitely not. So overall, now that we've the three of us have you know listened to this and, and taken it in, just overall impressions of this. What, what? How about you, David? What? Is, what were your overall thoughts? There are three songs that I really like on there. There's one that I do not like at all, 
and there's two that I'm kind of eh, on. But I mean, obviously, I think we're all in agreement here. We want new music, but this is what we got. So I, I mean, I get I give it a fair listen, but I, I think there's at least one song they could have done without recording and, and put something else on there. But if I had to grade it, I'd give it seven out of ten. That's pretty strong. What about you, Stephen? I would definitely give it at least an eight. I'm really enjoying it. My biggest complaint is that it's an EP instead of an LP. I mean, even if it was all covers, I looked over a little bit. Music released in 1972, and I'm looking at singles released, and I'm thinking, oh, they could have done that. Or, man, I would have liked to have heard their take on that. And if they had just expanded it, I would have been, I'd probably give it a nine depending on the track selection, of course, but as it stands now, a, a solid eight. I uh, I really like the track selection. There's a lot of tracks on there that I happen to personally enjoy. The only surprise to me right off the bat reading the track list when it, when it first was released, I was surprised to see no Allman Brothers tunes included, especially since Eat a Peach was in 72. And, you know, being from, from the South uh, you know, and, and they've spoken highly of the Allman Brothers in the past and covered their material, I would have thought that would have been something they included. Well, some of the songs, I think they may have put too much thought into it. Mm. Like, let's try to not pick the obvious and pick something that's so not the obvious that, you know, it makes headlines, which is what Papa, I think that's why Papa was real. It's like Steve said about Ain't Hiding. That's either the lead single or it's not on the album. Right. You know, and so I, I think that probably came into play. Uh, if you listen to Patreon, Ian and I are going to put out our own 1972 wish list here soon. But, um, yeah, there there were some there were some songs that I thought would sound good that they recorded on this and they didn't do a lot for me and then there were ones that came on that really surprised me. So I guess we'll see how that goes for everybody as we go through. All right, so let's jump into this thing. Feet first, and we'll go through each track like we normally do. And we're gonna start off with the the lead track on the album, and that's a cover of the Rolling Stones Rocks Off. Stephen, what are your thoughts on this one? I, I enjoyed it. It doesn't take too much off of the original as far as, I mean, it's pretty much a straight ahead, you know, cover of it, which is, is fine. It's great. It was a little predictable, in my opinion, that, that it was picked. I would have loved to have heard Love and Cup, I think, more than, than Rocks Off. Personally, I love Exile on Main Street. It's one of my favorites. And Rocks off just seemed like a very obvious pick, and that's my only little negative about it. Besides that, it's a, I thought it was a pretty solid cover. All right, David, I know you're a big fan of Exile Main Street, which coincidentally was released 20 years to the day before Southern Harmony. They share the same anniversary, so both classic albums on one day there, but that's a side note. But uh, I know you're a big fan of this album, David. What do you think of the Rock Soft cover? Um, this is one, man, I wanted to like it. I wanted to love it, actually. In hindsight, I don't think this was the right one to do off this album. Um, there's three more that um, I think they should have done before this one. Where's Sven's backing vocals? Mm. I mean, it, it, I, I just hear Rich, which is fine, but like, I don't hear Sven in there. I think the oh, yeah part at the beginning, it, it just something just doesn't. I mean, it's not bad. It's just not what I thought it would be. I mean, they do play it pretty straight to the original, which is which is fine. 
I may have gone with all down the line if I was going to go from a rocker off Exile on Main Street, but they may not have done that since Charlie Starr and them just did that on their, uh, their but by the way, that stoned album is phenomenal. If I ever get my vinyl copy, I may actually get to hear what it sounds like on vinyl, but uh, I'm not it, taking the bait. It's stuck. <laughs> that vinyl copy has been stuck in Long Island for six months. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not, it's not what I was expecting. I'll put it to you that way. I, I thought it was a, a, a fair take on it. Um, you know, I kind of agree it, it something a little bit missing from it. The, uh, one big glaring thing to me, and I didn't, I honestly didn't pick up on it until a few listens in and I'm surprised they didn't do it, but the horn parts are not included. And you would think given their penchant for putting horns on things in the past, they would have included a horn section on that just because it is very, integral in the original version and they recorded it like sound city so i'm sure sound city can just be like horns yeah you know people show up but <laughs> horns now yeah <laughs> they just show up <laughs> i actually kind of preferred it without the horns just mm. to give it a little it differentiates it from the original a little bit in my opinion because the horns are not there i think if they had been it would have been a little more cookie cutter and i wouldn't have enjoyed it quite as much but I do completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, I could see that, though. You're right. I mean, they always do differentiate the song enough to kind of make it their own. I guess maybe that's what's the problem with this particular cover. Even without the the horns, to me, it's still a little too faithful to the original to make it like one of their standard you know, approaches to a cover, really. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's uh, overall what's kind of going on. So up next, a particular favorite of mine. I don't know how universally popular this song was, but it's a cover of T-Rex's The Slider. David, you ultimately familiar with T-Rex? I know they're much more popular in the UK than they ever were in the US. So I don't know how across I, the board people are with the T-Rex. I strictly know the hits. Mm. I'll, I'll give the crows credit for this. I have gotten into, I started listening, making a 70s glam playlist the other day on Spotify. And it's got me interested in T-Rex. And I think I'm going to buy this album on vinyl, which I heard it sounds great. This is one of the big surprises for me. It didn't, you know, I, obviously new t-rex they got kind of those two kind of iconic album covers you know and um i love 20th century boy um i think that's a, a song a lot of people have covered i really really enjoyed this and i love the chorus on this i think it's really well done i think who i don't know who's doing like that kind of like slide playing but it's 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 really really good big surprise for me and this is one of the ones that if it was on spotify and i could make a playlist it would definitely be on there steven what about you you were you familiar with t-rex going into this i i love t-rex i'm a, a fairly big t-rex fan electric warrior and the slider are two top 100 albums for me i loved this cover i know chris robinson brotherhood used to cover rabbit fighter which i enjoyed that cover as well I wasn't surprised that this was was on the EP, but I was extremely glad. Love the cover. Yeah, I think it's a particularly fantastic version. I got into T Rex a, a really long time ago. I was a, I was a little guy, a little kid, and I was in England. And I went, I bought a tape. It was called, it was a compilation, but I think it's a UK only compilation. It's called Bowling Boogie, and I played the hell out of that thing. And I've been into T Rex ever since. I was really pleasantly surprised to see the slider on here. I think it's a really faithful yet original version of it and uh 
Yeah, it was a nice pick for a cover. A little left to center pick, I think, but uh, a great pick. Well, if if you're going to highlight 1972 and you're going to kind of make an album with different styles on it, you kind of got to go with some of that UK glam one way or the other. Yeah, but my thought was, because I think they were trying to, to bridge the gap of a little bit more obscure and a little bit more popular for this to kind of bring people in and children of the revolution was a single in 72 also. So I, you know, I would have thought if they went T-Rex, they might've just gone that route. Well, in, in 1972, T-Rex was one of the biggest bands out there, period. It would almost be just a complete loss not to include one of their songs. I was really surpri- not surprised, but glad that they didn't do Bang a Gong, which would have been the, you know, the obvious choice. Although that was on Electric Warrior, so I guess mm. it wouldn't have been 72. This was probably the one on the album that most surprised me as far as just the performance of it. The choice didn't surprise me as much as the performance, which I thought was just excellent. See, I would have loved to hear Rich play that 20th century boy riff. Mm. Yeah, I mean, with it just in total rich mode, the amps up as loud as they will go, those tube amps, you know, and just let him just absolutely, I think he would destroy it. David, I can't tell you the excitement that I just got uh, internally at the prospect of making you a T-Rex playlist now. Yeah. I'm really thrilled to do this. Oh boy. What do you say? I would boy? love to hear that. David, you're supposed to say, thank you, my friend. Thank, thank you, you my for th- thinking of me. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, we move along. Uh, last song on the first side, if you're a vinyl person, but the third song overall. This one actually was the most surprising track to me. It's a cover of Rod Stewart's You Wear It Well. Now, this is from the period of time when Rod Stewart was performing with Ronnie Wood still. You know, they obviously had their partnership in the faces, but this is when Rod had started to go solo. He had become popular as a solo artist. I really liked this song, but I was so surprised to see it on here because this was a major hit for Rod Stewart. And to me, it seems very out of character for the Black Crows. But I guess that's what makes Chris and Rich Robinson and the Black Crows interesting is they do a lot of stuff that's out of character that really is in character when you listen to it and it really gave me a new appreciation for this song chris singing it really made me pay attention to the lyrics for the first time it's the first time i've ever really digested the lyrics fully which is an odd thing i've been living with you wear it well for you know 25 years now you know i know steven what do you think of this one I, I really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it it's uh again it was kind of an obvious pick i think due to it being Rod Stewart and the early comparisons the Crows had with the faces mm. and Rod Stewart, I think it was kind of obvious, but they pulled it off. Had they not pulled it off, it would have been, it would have been terrible, but they did pull it off very well. And yeah, I enjoyed it. This was either going to be a train wreck or a hit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no in between. And I remember when I saw the song list, I was like, mm, this is the most surprising song on the album for me. And what I love on it, Joel Robineau sticks out. This is his song. Uh, the organ playing on this adds so much to it, and they have it so high up in the mix. Chris's vocals are so crisp and clear on this one. And and I'm not the biggest fan of You Wear It Well, the Rod. I like this version better than I do the Rod Stewart version. Mm. Um, and I thought it was the one that they just did the best job of, of making it a little bit more of their own without it sounding bad. Because Joel... I love Joe Robineau in this band. If you see him live, he is, 
man, he burns a million calories because he's into it. The, the, you know, the whole show and like the, the little touches he adds, he adds touches to songs that maybe where Ed wasn't as high up in the mix at times when they, when they play live. And that's not to say he's Ed Harsh. He's a tremendous player. Nobody's ever going to replace Ed Harsh in this band. I mean, I don't care if you put Elton John in there, nobody's going to sound like Ed Harsh. So I'm not, I'm not knocking him. I actually think he's a great addition to the band, but he just really nails it in it. His organ playing just adds a sense of fun and lightheartedness to it, you know, and, and, and Chris does a great job on this. I think rich, rich is playing on this one is really good. Like I said, the biggest surprise from this was the one when I looked at, I go, I'm going to hate it. And it turns out to be, you know, my second favorite song on the album. I mean, uh, Stephen, are you, you, were you a Rod Stewart fan? Uh, somewhat. He's not my all time favorite, but I, of the hits, you know, I'm a Rod Stewart fan of the hits. I think I have uh, one or two of his seventies albums on vinyl. This isn't one of them yet. <laughs> I'm sure it will be soon enough, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a Rod Stewart hits fan. I grew up with more of his eighties material, which mm. passion. Yeah. You know, infatuation, stuff like that, that. Yeah. Then I went back to his seventies material. I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. I understand why he's as popular as he is. And it's from his seventies material and not, his eighties material so much. There is an album. I encourage everybody out there to at least go listen to. It came out in 1998 for him. I think it's called when we were the new boys. Yep. It's him covering essentially British glam and rock. Like he does Oasis's uh, cigarettes and alcohol. Absolutely nails it. He does uh, rocks by the primal scream. Absolutely nails it. He covers the faces. Ooh, la la on there. Yeah. He Which redeems himself with that because he rejected that song originally. Yeah, and, and, I'm, not, and I'm not sure who originally recorded this song, but it's a song called Hotel Chambermaid that is quintessential 1970 sound in Rod Stewart. So if, if you're out there listening and you kind of, you know, soured on Rod Stewart after like 77, 78, this is yeah. the best thing he put out since then. It is phenomenal. But Stephen, you think where you where it well works or would you have picked a different song from the era of rod stewart if you would have picked rod stewart at all i i think it works um i know it came out on never a dull moment no i mean that's that's a decent choice it's just putting rod stewart on there was kind of an obvious choice yeah it really was and there's and there's nothing wrong with that and they do a great job like david said the organ on it is amazing and I'm kind of in his camp where I, I do think I like this better than the original. And yeah. I'm looking at the album. It came off of never a dull moment. Mm. And the only other song on there that I even have ever heard is obviously a cover twist in the night away. And please black crows do not attempt that one. I will say this. And a lot of people have forgotten this because they didn't do it a whole lot of times, but the magpie salute covered true blue off that album too, which is a great tune that I wasn't particularly familiar with until the magpie salute did it. So it kind of, drew me back to that album a little bit it's a great album it kind of is in the shadow of every picture tells a story that came out just before it you know so and it's hard to i mean every picture tells a story is a massive album with huge hits on it so it's kind of hard to follow in that after that album you know but next up not going to bury the lead here i'm going to say this is my particular favorite off of this ep and that is the cover of little feats easy to slip
Stephen, what's your take on this one? You a little feet guy or you like this this version they did? What, what do you think? I am fairly unfamiliar with Little Feet. Growing up, uh, a good friend of mine, his mom loved Little Feet. And she would talk about them all the time. Oh, you guys, Little Feet's such a great band. And I just never got into them for whatever reason. I do have a lot of respect for them. I know they're really good at what they do, but I haven't listened to them that much. I don't think I had heard this song prior to the EP. So it was... It was a new song to me. And that being said, I really did enjoy it. I, I liked Rich's vocals on it. It was a nice change up. I think they did a solid job. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I have to credit Rich Robinson with introducing me to Little Feet more so. I know the Crows covered them and did Roll Em Easy and Willin and, and that kind of thing. And uh, But it wasn't until Rich actually did Easy to Slip on his first solo tour in 04. And I said, what is this? And then, and uh, at the time people were making these compilations called under the influence and they would be the original versions of all the covers that they did. So, you know, I, I got that from somebody in a trade. If everybody yeah. remembers trading and uh, I said, oh, this is fantastic. And it really got me into that sail and shoes album. And I, when I saw this on the track list for the 72 EP, I was excited and rich didn't let me down. He really does a stellar job with this. Because lyrically and musically, this song's a big one for me. And this version just pushes it that much further for me. It's one of my favorite Little Feet songs. I was so excited when I saw this on the playlist. I'm like, there's no way this is not going to sound good. Best song by far on the album. They play it almost to a T, like mm. Little Feet. Even like the acoustic guitar is, a mute, is muted a little bit. I guess that's the, like it doesn't really resonate. Rich has become one of the best people in the business at picking the right cover songs for his voice. He just does not miss anymore. He has this range. I mean, obviously his range isn't like Chris's, but he has this range. If he stays in it, he nails it. And this is in that range. He nails it. I'm like you, the black crows got me into little feet, made me a huge little feet fan. This may be my favorite little feet song. And to see them record that, just made me so happy. I did not know Rich had ever played it on his solo because you told me because um, I, I really didn't follow Rich all that much early on in his solo career. And uh, you told me that he, that he had done that. And I'm like, there's no way this can be bad. And it wasn't. And, for, you know, I've been kind of going through and reading comments. This if you read comments and people talking about 95 percent of them say this is their favorite song on the album. I actually thought this is what they should have released as the lead single, but I doubt they were going to release something with Rich singing on it as the, the lead single. I mean, it's just not something, I mean, it's not something you would normally do, but, but getting back to the song, it, it just sounds so good. And uh, it makes me very happy to listen to it. And I've often said this, and I think Ian, you agree with me. Sammy Hagar would kill this song. Oh, absolutely. Sammy. kill! I don't understand why he hasn't, performed it because he you know he's done some covers albums have some really you know oddball things on them but i gotta i gotta clap for the black crows on this one because they knocked it out of the park it's funny you say that david because at the time when sammy and the circle band were doing all those lockdown releases during the, the height of the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, you know they would they would take suggestions in their comments and i must have suggested easy to slip like a thousand times thinking <laughs> that sammy would be because he's Sammy does on, on one of the Van Halen records, there's a, a version of uh, a political blues mm -hmm. and Sammy's fantastic on that. But just to speak to Rich's singing ability in terms of little feet tunes, I'm going to usually you're the one doing the hot takes, David. I'm going to throw a hot take out there. I think Rich's voice is much more suited to little feet than actually Chris's voice is. Lowell George's range and style is more in line with the way Rich sings. All right, I'm on my own on that one. I see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, you no, no, no. I, I I I agree with you on that. Now I think uh Chris sometimes can add a layer of emotion to it that like on Willin, especially like on that last verse, or I I, I mean, I'm you're never gonna get me to not like their version of Roll 'em Easy on mm. Brothers of a Feather. Yeah. But yeah, there there are certain songs in the Little Feet catalog that Rich definitely will, would handle better than Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a a real well of material for them to draw covers from because they there's like you said, there's songs that are suited to each one of their voices, and and you know they obviously have a a reverence for that material. You know, they said it on the Brothers of a Feather. You know that that music means a lot. Have to them, so. Have they ever played Skin It Back? 
To my knowledge, no. Man, that would be a good one live. And let Joel Robino just really get in there and get funky with it. Well, there was an album that Little Feet did. I want to say maybe it's about 10, 12 years ago now. It was called Join the Band. And it was kind of like the the Santana album where there's like guest singers on each track. And uh, Chris did Oh, Atlanta with them. And that for a later day entry from Little Feet, it was a really, really great version. And, and Chris really made the version of it. And his voice was suited perfectly to Oh, Atlanta. Well, I mean, if you're going to sing about Atlanta. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's a no brainer. But uh, sometimes so, so, <laughs> nothing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Come on. Now I got to hear it. No, I mean, like you wouldn't want Billy Joel singing that. No, I wouldn't want Billy Joel singing anything. And I think you just baited me to say that. Dude. You know, I don't like Billy Joel. <laughs> but uh, and that's a guy from Long Island, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to keep that quiet because they might come to the door and try to take my <laughs> New York card away. So. But coming up next on the uh, on the EP is uh, another personal favorite of mine. That's a cover of David Bowie's Moonage Daydream. I'm an alligator. I'm a mama papa coming for you. I'm a space invader. I'll be a rock and rolling bitch for you. But keep your mouth shut. You're squawking like a pink monkey bird. All right, so let me say, when it comes to David Bowie, I know the hits. And I like the hits. I mean, he's probably got 15 or 20 songs that the majority of the public knows when they hear him, even if they didn't know that was one of his songs. There are parts of this version that I absolutely love, but there are parts that I don't. Let's get to the parts I don't first. <laughs> Something to me seems disjointed during the verses. Yes. I, I don't know if like the bass is turned up enough or, or, or what, now, when it gets to the chorus, I think Chris shines. And when I, if you isolate his vocals on the chorus, to me, his vocals sound like something off this magnificent distance, which I think is his best vocal performance as a solo artist and one of the best that he's done. I think they nail the chorus. I think it sounds great. And that blistering guitar playing by Isaiah Mitchell on the way out really, really adds a lot to the song. For whatever reason, the verses don't, really set well with me the choruses do and isaiah's playing at the end really really shines what about you Stephen? what do you think of this one ziggy stardust is another top 10 album for me 72 was a great year for music i mean if you were if you were to pick out 25 of my top 100 albums would probably be from 1972 it was just an amazing year and i really love ziggy stardust i like their version of it don't love it, but I, to echo David, the guitar playing is is brilliant, and the outro especially, just I was blown away by that. I love this tune. I, I would agree with both of you guys to what David said about it sounding disjointed. The thing about the original Bowie version and a lot of Bowie's tunes, a lot of Bowie's tunes are disjointed, but it's the way that they're mixed that they don't sound that way. And in this in this case that's not the same. So you get that disjointed feeling. The thing that really throws me off is during, I believe it's during the verse. It's the, the style of drumming that Brian Griffin chooses to go with. It kind of throws me off a little bit. And that might be how it is on the original track. I'll have to go back and compare, but it's much more muted if it is. So it doesn't sound as jarring. And I think that's the, the problem with this. And I believe me, I wanted to, I wanted this to be my favorite track because I love this song so much. And it's not, no, I don't necessarily think it's bad, but it's it's not the top for me on this, this EP. I'm really, I'm not going to be shocked if 
the music industry doesn't come out with a Ziggy Stardust tribute album this year would would make a lot of sense. If you guys are looking for a great cover of a Ziggy Stardust song, totally out of the blue, out of left field, but Duran Duran does a cover of Five Years that came out a year or two ago that's just amazing. Amazing song. Do they really? I never yes. I never knew that. And I, I happen to like Five Years, too, because a Bowie's version uh, is very emotional vocal for him. I always loved the way he sang that. And uh, But I'll have to check that out. Thanks, man. I actually kind of like it better than the original at this wow. point. Yeah. Wow. You want to talk about a hot take? There's one right yeah. there. <laughs> See, I wish I wish they would have covered the song Ziggy Stardust again. Mm. Rich Robinson on that opening part would have killed it. I also think Suffragette City would have been fun and bring those keys up loud in the in the mix. And it's got kind of like a boogie woogie feel to it. I think they would do really well with it. But yeah, uh, you take those verses away and it's it's a great cover, but uh, there's just something about it doesn't set right. And uh, is it just me or do you guys not hear Sven singing a lot on this? I, I agree with that. But to me, Sven is the secret weapon on this EP because his bass work on every track is a, is a solid foundation. And if you listen, that's why the physical media versions are a bit better too, is his, his parts are much more pronounced on them. You can hear them a lot better. Uh, they kind of, they kind of bleed into the mix on the, on the stream. Yeah. I mean, I would have liked to have seen more of his backing vocals. Perhaps they're there and I don't, I'm not as good at identifying them as I think I am, but, you know, but that's absolutely right. He's such a tremendous backing vocalist. I'm surprised they don't use his abilities a lot more. So that brings us to the to the closer on this, the one that was released as the single, the one they performed on on Kimmel, and, and it was really the promotional tool for this EP. A lot of uh, mixed emotions about this one in general, and that's a cover of Papa Was a Rolling Stone. Papa was a rolling stone Wherever he laid his hat was his home Never worked a day in his life. And mama, some bad talk going around saying that Papa had three outside children and another wife. And that ain't right. Now, David, what's your thoughts on this one? All right. It's like I ain't hiding. It's either got to be the single or not be on the album. I appreciate what they're trying to do with this. One, you throw this out there as the lead single, it's going to garner interest one way or the other. It's going to get people talking. It's kind of like, Pearl Jam with the dance of the clairvoyance that's going to get people talking. And this is a business and they're trying to sell albums and, and, and get streams and, you know, and, and sell tickets to the tour. So I totally understand why they picked it completely. And I understand why it's the lead single, but there's, it just does not work for me on any level. It just seems, you know, and I'm not a musician. It just almost seems out of time, the cadence on it and stuff like that. To me, sings a little seems a little off. I'll go ahead and spoil it for our Patreon people. If I were going to do a song like this, absolutely, Cisco Kid by War from that '72 album, Chris Robinson would rip that up, and it would be amazing. And the backing vocals that Finn and Rich could add to that, it would. There's no way that wouldn't sound good. So I want the. You know, and I'm a huge advocate of Chris Robinson singing music like this. I'll go to my grave saying he's really an r&b and soul singer with a little funk mixed in i think they were fine choosing it but there's just something about the execution of it sounds off to me now i do think there's some cool like guitar sounds on it that uh that that sound good but just overall the song just comes off as disjointed to me i can appreciate where you're coming from that but the original is is quite the same way i mean this is a to my ears a very faithful cover but i know exactly what you mean david like how it sounds disjointed it took many many listens of this track for me to get into it but the thing that draws me in is the very thing that you're talking about how suited to r&b funk type vocals 
Chris is and how much, you know, there's a, there's a project begging to be done out there with that type of material with him. So that's ultimately what saves it for me that, and, you know, Sven's bass playing on it, I think is, uh, is tremendous. And what was your take on this one, Steven? I, I enjoy it. I do. I agree with David to an extent that uh, I would have picked something else. I would have picked probably Sly and the Family Stone. Mm. Or, but, see, or, but, see, but see, they didn't have anything in 72. I went and looked. They had a, there's a riot going on. Is, was that, that's, that, that's 72, not 70. Yes. Okay. Okay. And I probably would have picked something off of that, or I would have picked a Stevie Wonder song. Mm. I, I think Superstition would have been really cool to hear, which I believe came out in 72. I yes. would have to check to be sure on that, but I, I would love to hear them do something like that. I'm kind of like David that I've always said that Chris should be doing some R&B funk. It was when they initially did the announcement that they were doing the, the Shake Your Money Maker tour, in my head, I thought it was going to be kind of a one-off tour you know, that they weren't getting back together. It was going to be a one-off, but I thought CRB just broke up. Now you have them doing this, getting it back into rock again. When this tour wraps up, they're probably all going to go their separate ways. And it's time for Chris to come out with a hardcore funk album. And that was kind of my hope. I'm actually extremely pleasantly surprised that they are, you know, making a go of it at a band as a band again. And hopefully there's going to be some new material coming around. But yeah, I just thought it was not the best choice. But that being said, they did choose it. And I like what they did with it. It's just every time I listen to it, I think I, I would have done something different. <laughs> I would have done a different song. This wouldn't have been my choice. Yeah, I mean, some of the tracks you just mentioned, and particularly Superstition, yeah, those would have been some fine choices. And Cisco Kid really uh i think would fit in well there's a lot in that realm they could have really delved into i don't overall i i think this was an interesting idea it was an interesting experiment and most importantly to me i think this was and i've said this before this to me seems like almost let's see how we all gel together in the studio and make sure that things will be smooth if we we do some original material and that's kind of that's kind of the purpose this serves overall for me and it makes me excited as to, to what's to come. And uh, I'd probably have to give this, you know, like an eight out of 10, you know, I really think uh, it's, it's that strong of a, of a release. Yeah. I'd throw an eight. It's losing a point right off the get go for being an EP instead of an LP. So there's just no chance of it being a 10 because of that. <laughs> and perhaps after I listen to the physical copies, I'll, I'll have a different appreciation of it, but with just listening to it on streaming, I enjoy the the songs. I really do, but it makes me want some original material. I mean, they, 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 we keep hearing they have two albums worth. So let's do an album now and release another one at Christmas. Yeah. And given the fact that George Draculius is involved, I'm surprised he wasn't the producer of this, this EP a little bit, because this is produced by Chris and Rich Robinson. And actually, if we're going to, address anything about this ep that kind of sits a little off with me it's the overall production of it i at times i really like it and at times it feels very thin to me i don't know did it did either of you get that impression i definitely agree with that on the amazon music version mm. there's no getting around that uh but like i said when i dropped the needle it it has a little bit of a thicker because you haven't listened to it on vinyl yet have you Ian? i haven't i just got my copy so i haven't had a chance to put it's it on it's it's a little thicker okay so i'll give it a fair shake on vinyl and Stephen, when yours arrives, you'll have to do the same. Yeah, I'm impatiently awaiting. I'm hoping it makes it one of these days. And I know it will. But that being said, one of the things I do enjoy about vinyl is, you know, the artwork and all that. Do not like the album cover at all. Yes, I, I, I've heard people mention that. What is it about the the cover that, that puts you off? I think it looks very... To me, it reminds me of a 1972 J.C. Penney's catalog ad. It just looks odd, and I don't care for it whatsoever. They've had some really cool album covers, and to put this one out, yeah, just wasn't happening for me. But it's there's something that. about like the two cup main colors. Like one of them looks like split pea soup. Yeah, the, the green, and it just doesn't see t- to me. I think because it's an EP, 
they they injected a little more humor into it. And I completely agree with you, Stephen. I think it does look like a JC Penney's from the seventies. I think that was, I think that's Chris's humor in a way. I, you know, I, I, I was, agree with that. That I think it is his humor, but yeah. I. I don't like staring at it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's not, don't. you know, you're not going to put it up on the wall like you would Southern Harmony's cover. Exactly. But I think because it was an EP, they didn't get maybe too into it. I mean, that was just my take on it. But, you know, I, I could appreciate both sides of that argument. But a lot of people, it's funny, mentioned, you know, on, on various social media things, a lot of people took issue with the the cover art. I don't know. David, did did you overall like it or, or you or you didn't like it either? I mean, I understand why people don't like it, but I mean, it, it like you said, it's not an original album we know they kill it on their album covers for the originals so mm-hmm. well except by your size well <laughs> i mean what one bad one out of eight? Oh no it's true i mean there i mean and you, we, as we've spoken about in the past particularly that record store day set from crb that you had at one point it's clear that chris puts a lot of time and energy into the releases and the, the presentation of the way well, and all those it. crb covers were amazing yeah big moon ritual that's one of my favorite album covers of all time I'll agree with the exception of Barefoot in the Head. I didn't care for that album cover as well. But the other ones are, yeah, phenomenal. See, that's funny. I happen to like Barefoot in the Head's cover too. I must be the odd man out or something. Wow. I always am, aren't I? You know? <laughs> but anyway, Stephen, we appreciate you joining us for this chat. And we hope that uh, this will not be your only appearance with us. We'd like to definitely have you back. And we'll, the- we really appreciate you being on Patreon too. I appreciate being here. Thank you guys so much. And uh, speaking of Patreon, if anybody is interested in joining, uh, just head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash state of America and join up. We'd love to have you. All right, Stephen, as our guest, as is tradition, we uh, we always let our guests pick the playout song. And what have you got for us this time? Uh, if you guys could find a really sweet rock version of, of Remedy, it's the 30th anniversary. That was the uh, the first track I heard off that album. That's what really cemented them with me. So, yeah, it'd have to be Remedy. I'll get you a nice one with a big, long chat section in it uh, from the uh, earlier versions. Oh, nice. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on. And thanks to everybody for listening. And we'll see you next time. Stay tall, everybody.
Please vote you and me all of